Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. What's up? It's me, Henry. Uh, this is the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. And I think it's going to be a fun one today. Um, it was supposed to be primarily basketball, but then LaVisca Chenault made his announcement today that he's declaring for the NFL draft. And so I think we have to dig into that uh, before we get into basketball, but we'll definitely get into some basketball talk because it's a big week. And you know, obviously the Kansas game on Saturday is what every is what's on everybody's minds. But Loyola Marymount Wednesday night could be a sneaky tough contest, um, and we'll dig into that in the second segment. And uh, then I think last I checked, we had a comment, so hopefully that will take up the whole third segment. If not, we'll talk about something else too. Um, that's the plan for today. And before we get into that, I do want to tell you more about Drift Car Sharing. Um, they sponsor this podcast. They're like our presenting sponsor, which means that it just could not happen without all of those good people over there. Um, basically, they let you drop your car off in their lot when you go to the airport. And instead of paying to park, they pay you because they rent your car out and they insure it. And even if they don't, get it rented out, then you still get to park for free and they'll clean it for you for free. It's a great deal. You need to check it out. Um, I mean, airport parking parking is expensive. And uh, if you're actually making money, like it could be the difference between, you know, if you're gone for a week, it could be a $300 swing between paying for parking and getting paid to park. So check that out. Uh, yeah. I mean, basically that's like the price of the flights. Maybe even more than the price of the flights, depending on where you're going out of Denver. That's a lot of money. Um, yeah, so check them out. Go to drivedrift.com, and that is pretty much all I have to say about that right now. Um, LaVisca Chenault. LaVisca Chenault. Uh, not a surprise that he decided to declare for the draft. Uh, not a surprise at all. It's the right move. Um, I think there were still a couple Buffs fans who were holding out hope that he could return for his senior year and try to put up the numbers that he could have probably had this year. And, uh, you know, that would have been a lot of fun. It would have been so much fun. We were talking about how he could potentially win the Heisman this year. Imagine him coming back just a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, a little bit more experienced. I mean, it's kind of like watching Tyler Bay this year playing basketball. You see Tyler out there just... He's 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 head and shoulders better than pretty much anybody he's been on the same floor as so far this season. 
And that's because he should be in the NBA right now. And to be honest, LaVisca Chenault should probably probably be in the NFL right now, getting ready for a playoff run, not getting ready for the draft. For him to come back and play one more year, uh, I can't even imagine. I mean, it, it, he could single-handedly carry Colorado to a Pac-12 title. Um, again, it would be really cool, but there was no way that's what was going to happen because he is that talented, and he probably should have been getting paid this year in the NFL, but because of the rules, he couldn't do that, and uh, you can't just sacrifice making millions of dollars to come back for a couple records, uh, as much as Tim Tebow would make you think that you could. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that part of it. Uh, he announced it at 1. They had the press conference at 3. I wasn't able to get up there. I was busy doing some other stuff, uh, which is disappointing because I would have loved... Hopefully I'll get a chance to catch up with LaVisca, talk about some of this stuff at some point in the process because uh, it's got to be interesting going through the draft process because, you know, Visca's gone through off-seasons before. He's identified weaknesses, tried to fix those. You know, sometimes there's coaching change. You're, like, learning new playbooks. You're doing all this kind of stuff. But but the the NFL draft process is so much different than any other off-season because... You aren't necessarily building your body to be a better football player. You're building your body to test better. You're trying to be able to go to the combine and, you know, if, if he can change, I don't even know what his 40 time would be, like a 4-5. If he can get if he can get from a 4-5-3 to a 4-4-9, that could be a huge swing in his draft stock because there are so many receivers and that could take him from ranking 10th at the combine to fifth at the combine um all those little things the bench press all that stuff if you can just test better slightly it's going to take you a ways up those rankings and that's what really looks good because you might not be passing anybody who's who's potentially going to be drafted in front of you depending on how you test um you might not be competing you know in LaVisca's case with guys who are supposed to be drafted around the 20th pick but just being able to say I was fifth instead of eighth is just so big um i have a bunch of thoughts on all this visca stuff and uh i think the biggest is that he he's just an nfl player like it is so obvious when you see him that that's where he's supposed to be every game this season he has been the best player on the field and it's been pretty obvious and there's a lot of really talented football players in the pac-12 um before the season, he was getting some top 10 hype, uh, even a little bit of top 5 hype. Um, he was kind of that number 2 receiver behind Jerry Judy. I think right now, uh, Andre Simone, uh, DNVR's draft guy, he he's bumped LaVisca down to 4th in terms of receivers and 15th overall. Um, Mel Kuyper from ESPN still has Visca 3rd among receivers, I think behind... Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where things are stacking up. Um, he's going to be a monster in all these tests, though. Um, he's going to help his case. I, obviously, what's knocking him down draft boards right now is the injuries, the lack of production this season. Not anything that you saw from him actually on the field. Uh, again, very clear that he is a game-changer not just the college football level, but likely pretty quickly at the NFL level. Question is just 
what what will he actually provide? Can he stay healthy for a full 16 game season or you know 10 or 12 16 game seasons because that's the type of guy that he's supposed to be. Um, my take there and and some of this I'm going is going in a story that should be up tonight um, where I kind of break down all my favorite potential landing places for LaVisca Chenault. Um, not to give too much away, I will tell you that I included the Broncos in there, and I admitted that that is just because I would really like that, and it's a totally biased take, but it would be a lot of fun for a whole bunch of different reasons. Obviously, like it means that I get to keep watching him. Uh, he's there with Phil Lindsay, another buff. That'd be fun. But also, the way that the Broncos play offense, which, I mean, first, the caveat is that more than anything, they play offense poorly, but... Outside of that, they are very physical. They aren't all skill and finesse and speed like a lot of these modern offenses are. And I think that LaVisca Chenault could really fit in physically with what they're trying to do with the brand of football they're trying to play. You know, watching the Broncos, they have they'll, they'll pull two tight ends in there with a fullback and just try to play power football. You know, there were a couple times they last Sunday they were in the pistol. And uh, you'd have fullbacks on either side of Drew Locke and Phil Lindsay behind him. It's like three running backs. Um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, they they get a bad rap for not being creative. Over the last few weeks, they've become a lot more creative. It hasn't necessarily always worked. Um, you know, the tight end screens and all that kind of stuff are like, eh, eh, not consistently doing what they need to do. But they aren't just trying to spread other teams out uh, like like a lot of NFL teams are right now. And I think that that plays into LaVisca Chenault's favor because what he has going for him is his strength and his size and his physicality. I mean, he's, he's pretty fast. But for an NFL receiver, it's not like he's spectacularly fast. He, he has good hands. He, he can run routes well. But none of those are traits that are going to separate him. You know, you take away his physicality, and he's like a fourth-round guy, maybe. But when you get to put the ball in his hands, watch him run people over, go up and get those contested passes because guys just bounce off him. You know, I was talking to Mikhail, like like I said before that football game uh, on Saturday, and we were just talking about Visca, and I was saying, like, they, they just got to put him back there at returner just, just like once. And Mikhail was like, yeah, I mean... I." We both just wanted to see it. And he said, people don't get how hard it is to tackle him. I remember my first practice going up there and trying to hit Visca, and I just bounced right off of him. You know, NFL tacklers, maybe not just bouncing right off. They'll do better, but you'll still see quite a bit of that. That's what makes Visca special. And you don't get that by asking him to run downfield um, and catch a football and, you know, get those like six targets a game, seven targets a game. I mean, he'll still have a couple of opportunities, but a lot of the time you just kind of catch the football and there's somebody right on you. What he needs is a bunch of reps, a bunch of opportunities, a bunch of touches. That's what makes him who he is. You know, he he led all of college football last season in catches per game. Um, he was also the only guy with five rushing touchdowns and five receiving touchdowns last year. Um his 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 elite trait is his physicality 
And by asking him to play a purely wide receiver role, you're not giving that enough of a chance to shine through. That's why you need to put him at all these different positions. You know, maybe put him at the Wildcat. Maybe put him at H-back. Put him, you know, in in that formation I was talking about, make him one of those guys in the fullback spot. Is he a great lead blocker? Probably not. But it's just one more opportunity because you flex him outside and if if there's a cornerback on him then 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 everything's mashed up right you bring him back to the backfield then all of a sudden the defense is a little bit too light but you try to match up with him with a safety or a linebacker and you can flex him out and he's going to beat him you know he's that type of weapon and we talk about those with running backs a lot um guys like Christian McCaffrey um and i i pulled this comparison for the 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 story but you know Christian McCaffrey if he's like a blend of Le'Veon Bell, he has that kind of vision-based running style, as well as Julian Edelman, the slot receiver type, and maybe he's not as quite as good as either of those two at what they do. I mean, he might even have the better vision than Le'Veon Bell at this point. But if he's that blend of those two, and that's how you use him, LaVisca Chenault is more like a blend of like Julio Jones and Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback for the 49ers because he's just that more physical style of football player. And, you know, he would be successful in so many offenses, but these power-based offenses are where I think he could really shine through. Like, he'd be fun on the Chiefs. Andy Reid would find a way to use him. Um, But when you're just trying to get guys open downfield, get them running across formation, and it's all these little speed guys, and it's Visca, like, sure, he's going to be successful. He's talented. But that might not be the best fit. You know, they. one of the reasons I did include Kansas City on my list is because of the way they use Travis Kelsey. And you can see that creativity with a bigger guy when they're, you know, lining him up at H-back, having him run across the formation and catch a pass. You know, they'll have that little flip up to him when he's just running across the formation out of the shotgun. You know, there's, there's all these different ways they've shown they can give him the ball. And it, it does bring another dynamic to that offense. He just fits so well into a, an offense like the Broncos. Now, I wish that he would go somewhere where there's a little more talent, a little more exposure. Um, you trust the play callers and whoever's making the plays just a little bit more. And and that's where you kind of get into like Ravens territory because the Ravens play super heavy football too. Um, and the way you can just move Visca around the formation, ask him to do so many different things, um, get him on those little sweeps. There's just so much misdirection. You don't know what he's going to do on any given play, and you can exploit so many matchups with him. Um, it's going to be interesting. More than anything, I just don't want him to go to a traditional offense. Um, I don't want him to go somewhere where he's just asked to be a receiver because that'd be wasting a lot of his talent. Um, I did include the Packers on the list. I'm starting to spoil this whole list, but, um, mostly because I I like having him with Aaron Rodgers. I think that that could be very beneficial. I think that that, that outweighs the fact that they aren't quite as creative maybe. And I mean, they're creative, but, but not in the same way that the chiefs are kind of known for, um, he also would have Devontae Adams pulling a bunch of the coverage and also kind of teaching him how to play good football, which I think could be really important for him as a young player. Having a mentor like Devontae Adams could be huge. And I like that fit as well. Um, 
oh, going back to that thing where I said, you know, you just have to get him a lot of touches, that probably made you think about the injuries that he's had and the troubles he's had with injuries. And here's my take on that. You have to put him in the best situation to be successful. And like I said, if you're just throwing the ball to him like six times a game, and he's picking up three catches, he's really not going to flash. Because in the same way that a big physical running back just wears defenses down, that's kind of what LaVisca Chenault does too. You just need to give him time to hit guys, hit guys over and over, and eventually he'll break one because of it. Um, just giving him a couple touches isn't going to do all that much. That does mean that he's more exposed to the hits because obviously he's taken a bunch of them, makes him less likely to stay healthy, but... I don't think that you can go into this career saying, I don't know if he can stay healthy. We have to put him in bubble wrap. Because if you do that, again, then he's a fourth round value. Because what he really provides you is the volume. And somebody isn't going to see it that way. Somebody is going to say, you know what? If Maybe he stays healthy, maybe he doesn't. But this is what it takes to for him to be successful and that's a lot of touches and so we got to take him in the first round because that's where he's going to be available um that's how I feel about that it's it's far from a guarantee but if the options are you get oh Madden ratings let's go back to Madden ratings either he you know two three years from now becomes a 95 90 overall receiver um but there's a 50 percent chance it happens because the injuries could just derail any everything or you say you just know he's going to be a 78 or an 80 because that's what he is. is just a true get open with your feet, get the route running, don't take that many hits, duck out of bounds, you know, that kind of stuff because you're taking away that physicality. You, you got you to gotta just let him be him and hope it works. Don't try to change him by taking away his greatest attribute. Um, I think that that's probably a lot of LaVisca Chenault takes. I did want to get into what it means for the buffs. Um, also, Brian Howell tweeted that he went through like 20 mock drafts tonight. I love Brian. The, 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 all the research that he pulls is just so good. Um, I don't know. I mean, this time, I guess he kind of explained it. They went through 20 mock drafts, but he'll, he'll find some really great stuff. Um, what he said, though, is that every one of the 20 has him going in the first round, anywhere from 14 to 30. I think that makes sense. I think that right now he's probably a- around his lowest value because the injuries and all that kind of stuff is so fresh in people's minds. I think that as you go through the draft process, the headline won't be, can he stay healthy? It'll be, how does a man this big run a 40 time this fast or a shuttle this fast? Or did this receiver really just set the record? for bench press reps and all of that hype will kind of overtake the injury stuff. And like, nobody's going to just forget about the injuries, but I think that he's going to do a lot to help his stock uh, compared to the other receivers over the next few months and sneak back up into that 14 range, um, Broncos range. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. Um, in terms of the Buffs receivers next year, Katie Nixon likely back would be my guess at this point, um, based on everything that I know. And, uh, you know, you, you, you pair him 
with, I don't even know. I mean, you know, Dimitri Stanley is going to be a big factor. Um, Daniel Arias is a guy that will likely take on a pretty significant role next season, uh, kind of playing that number one receiver spot. Um, again, nothing set in stone. He could get beat out. He could not play well. Um, knock on wood, he could get hurt. But the way I see it right now, I think that he's probably that next guy up. Um, Maurice Bell, Jalen Jackson might finally get some run. The receivers won't be as explosive as they were this year, but I, you know that's what happens when you lose the most talented player this program has seen in who knows how long. Um, and also, remember, Tony Brown came out of nowhere. There could be another story like that next year. I mean, Brendan Rice, Keith Miller, some of the freshmen, you never know. Vontae Chenault will likely get into that rotation for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the receivers, though. I think that they still have enough talent there that that's not going to be a weakness. Um, I think that that's probably enough LaVisca Chenault takes. Um, excited for him. Definitely think he made the right decision. Um, I... I have trouble seeing him not just breaking the NFL because of just how he's built more than anything. Like, you just look at him and you're like, wow, that looks like a guy who should be the best player on any football field. I don't care if they're pros. Um, You know, I go back to this summer, Sports Illustrated wrote a story about him and interviewed scouts, and one of the scouts said, you know, he's going to be the strongest receiver in the NFL the day he gets drafted, which is just pretty crazy to think about. Um, again, so much of it just relies on how how exactly he's used, um, how you're able to get the ball in his hands. Um, I think he fits into today's NFL better than he's fit into, he, he would have fit into any other version of the league. Uh, when people are running these college offenses, when people are flexing receivers into the backfield, um, you know, not necessarily just running like a draw with him, although honestly you probably could, but just putting him in different situations, seeing if the defense knows how to respond and probably assume that it doesn't know how to respond. Um, He just gives you so many advantages in so many different ways. Uh, Wish he was still around. Wish I got to cover him more. Um, But it's definitely exciting to see where he is going to go next. Um, Breckenridge Brewery is up next. That's what we're going to talk about. And I had a Breckenridge Brewery beer tonight. I had the Christmas Ale, which uh, is kind of my favorite at the moment. Um, It is like a little bit heavier beer, but it makes up for that. But by being like 7% alcohol which is pretty good. Uh, It definitely doesn't feel like a beer that would be like that. Um, It doesn't feel like a light beer either. either. Um, If you're still 22 like me and you're looking for bang for your buck in terms of alcohol content, I think that that's kind of a sweet spot right there. Uh, Also just like tastes good. Very Christmassy. Tough to explain. I think they call it like a multi full-bodied something uh i don't really know beer words but what i can tell you is that it just tastes like christmas and i plan having a bunch more um went to the nuggets game tonight that's uh why 
I had a beer. Um, so that was kind of disappointing. Um, really just these Laker fans are so obnoxious. And I was, I knew that that was going to be the case. And I really wanted them to lose. I wanted that whole, like, take the L on the way out thing to come back. And then they didn't. And it really hurt me a lot, especially considering how much money I paid. Like, it felt weird to have given up money to feel that way at the end of the night. Um, it's why my voice is probably a little bit raspy because an hour or two ago I was cursing out LeBron James. Um, also want to tell you about Total Beverage where I'm actually headed tomorrow before the basketball game. Not because I'm going to have, a, well, I am going to have a lot of fun at the basketball game, but because I enjoy watching basketball. And this will actually be my first time watching the Buffs basketball team play live ever. Um, but, but I won't be drinking. I'm, I'm going to pick something. I actually don't even know what I'm picking up. Something for the office. I don't know. You'll probably see it on a set or something soon. But, um, if you guys need something to keep you, uh, whatever you want to be for this basketball game tomorrow, then you should definitely hit up total beverage. If you use the code DNVR 2019, you can get 30% off your, order of $75 or more. It's crazy how much $75 worth of alcohol is. We had that Friendsgiving at my place last week and had like all of DNVR over and all of their spouses or significant others. Not not me, because famously very single. Um, one of two of us here who are single. Working on it. Uh, now it's the off season. I mean, it's not really the off season. I'm still <laughs> covering basketball, and there's a whole bunch of recruiting stuff going down. Oh, recruiting stuff. Uh, Buff signed a guy named Mr. Williams today. First name is Mr. He uh, outside linebacker. I think he's a three star. He's definitely a three star. He had some like SEC offers, like LSU offer that kind of stuff. Um, big get, definitely a big get. Uh, you will remember that. I think it was today. I think it was either today or yesterday that uh, Mel was in Georgia, in Atlanta, um, where Mister is from, and I bet that that helped. Uh, that's a big get for sure. That's a really big get. It means that the class is pretty much full. There can't they they might not have any scholarships left. So I don't know. Good spot to be. They'll get everybody actually locked in two weeks from today, maybe? The 18th is when it is. Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember whether it's that. It's a Wednesday or Thursday. But, um, yeah, good recruiting stuff. Uh, did I finish Total Bev? Yikes. Uh, this has been a little bit of a mess here these last couple minutes. Um, if I didn't finish talking about Total... Oh, Friendsgiving is what I was talking about. Um, we had everybody up there. I am single. Oh, off-season is where we were. It's not really an off-season because there's still a lot of things going on. And, like, draft pod tomorrow. Uh, hopefully you guys are excited about that. I haven't been able to be on that draft pod with Dre in, like, two weeks because we've had a whole bunch of things going on between the two of us. Uh, so much to catch up on. That's going to be a fun show. Um, but, yeah, things like clean out my closet. I, Cyber Monday really got me again this year. I always think it won't. Um, buy a plant, get myself all like girlfriend ready. Working on that though. Um, 
Friendsgiving, I got all of the alcohol. I was like, you know what? This is a good opportunity to spend the $75, get the 30% off. And I did that. And we went through like a quarter of it. And now my fridge is just stocked with Christmas ale, which is pretty cool. And uh, all for just like, what is that? It, it turned out to be like 55 bucks or something like that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great deal. It's a great deal. Definitely check them out. Locations in Westminster and Thornton. Really no excuse not to uh, be taking advantage of that. Already low prices, if I haven't mentioned. Okay, basketball. First of all, I want to say I am really excited to actually watch this team play. You know, I've been able to like... I've seen most of the games. I guess like on Saturday when they were playing, we like we had it on in the press box in Utah. And so you could like glance down and look at it and be like, oh, cool. But then you'd miss three plays because there would be things going on in the football game and like tweets to send and all that kind of stuff, then jump back in. You're like, oh, okay. But that's happened for like two of them. But I've seen the rest. Um, to actually see them in person, not in a practice situation, is going to be really nice. Um it's 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 weird how much easier it is to evaluate athletes when you see them in person. You know, I always heard that growing up where it's like they send the scouts to every game, do all that kind of stuff. And you're like, huh, why is that? Don't you have the tape? Can't you just watch that? They have like three different angles. But until you actually get out there, it's just like, huh, I don't know. Uh, going back to football, you know, you, you get out there, like I was saying with Visca, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is not a human like like every part of him is just so big like his calves his thighs like his head like his his helmet just is massive um seeing Davion Taylor you're just like oh wow you actually do kind of look like you're a linebacker if I were to look at you I would say linebacker not safety um you know there is a lot of that that goes into it especially like pregame but then also just to see what it looks like in person in 3d is big and I'm excited to go see Tyler Bay play um McKinley uh, it's it's going to be a blast. I'm super excited. Um but that's not the point of the show. It's not about my feelings. It's about what's happening in the sport. And what's happening tomorrow is that the Buffs are hosting Loyola Marymount and they should win that game. Uh Loyola isn't necessarily like a bad basketball team, but with where Colorado is ranked, you know, just the talent they have, this should be a win. Again, the storyline to me is going to be the turnovers. Colorado has really struggled holding on to the ball. This week, Tad has actually emphasized, Tad Boyle, the coach, has emphasized trying to swing the ball, um, make a bunch of passes, um, get the offense back into a rhythm, you know, he's been talking a lot about simplifying as well, which I think is kind of interesting, but they just haven't quite clicked the way that they should. And the the most obvious example of them not clicking has been the turnovers, like just ending possessions before they even get a chance to do anything, to take a shot, at least throw something up. And if they want to pass more, obviously you could see how that could turn to more turnovers. But with Loyal Marymount, one of the things that you really have to watch out for, first of all, they have this forward from Bulgaria, maybe, who's just like a three-point threat, like 6'9", just big Bulgarian shooter. Um, kind of excited to see him play as well. But 
they pull a lot of turnovers. That's kind of what they're known for. And it's going to be a test, you know, if, if that's what Colorado... That, that's one of my favorite parts about college basketball is that each game just tests you differently and you have so many games. Like, obviously, like football, you have, oh, we're going against air raid. Oh, we're going against the triple option. Like, you do have some of that, but when right now Colorado's struggling with turnovers, to play a team that they should beat but also forces a lot of turnovers, it just gives Tad the opportunity to say, okay, guys, this is this is what we're working on tonight. This is what we're trying to fix. Really focus on protecting the ball, and that's how we progress to the next step. Like, this is our opportunity to grow in this area, and then who knows what the challenge is against Kansas. Like, it's probably just handling the situation more than anything. Going in there, not blowing up early like making sure you get in there everything's straight in your head you're ready to go even though you are in Allen Fieldhouse playing the number two team in the country can you just get there can you look like you belong in the moment that's going to be that test and that's what that game's about Um, you know games where you're going against a team that has a star, but not much around it. Can you shut that guy down while also not letting anybody else kind of flare up? That's my favorite part of basketball, college basketball in particular. It's just all of these opportunities, all these different things, all these boxes that you kind of check on your way to the end of the season week, get into the Pac-12 tournament, get into the NCAA tournament, and see how far you can go. Um, But that really is the challenge tomorrow, is can you stop turning the ball over so much can you get this offense into a rhythm um I, I i do like where this game fits on the schedule because again it's not like loyal and marymount it's they're not a bad basketball team but they aren't university of colorado you know they, they lost to colorado state that's not where you want to be um it's an opportunity to build some confidence to get everything clicking again in this offense to get things working the way they should before you have to take on the number two team in the country. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. Uh, Like I said, I think there's still some question marks in this rotation, how exactly everything fits together. Um, What's up with Dallas Walton? There's the big question. Uh, You don't expect him to step in this season and dominate. I think that maybe the ex- I know my expectations for him were a little bit high this year. Um, I thought that, you know, just being that big, just having us, like, he would come in, he'd be a significant contributor early on. Um, looking back now, that just doesn't make sense. You know, he's, he missed a whole year of basketball, still a young guy. It just takes some time to get things clicking. Um, I just want to know how long. I just want to know, is, is he just, getting ready for the Pac-12 tournament? Is it going to take him all season? Are we looking at next year he's going to be better? Or two weeks from now, is he going to be contributing um, the way that I kind of expected? Uh, Also, that shooting guard spot, that second guard spot, uh, was Dalen Koontz. Now it's Eli Parquet. Um, Again, I think Shane Gatling's your best option there, but you need him off the bench for whenever McKinley needs to take a breather. Still trying to see exactly how all these pieces fit together. 
I, I, I have total confidence it's going to work just because there are so many pieces. But sometimes when you have 10, 11 guys who really could contribute, 12 guys who could contribute, figuring out who fits best with who, what your best lineup is, it's it's tough. And it might take some time. And uh, that's another thing that before this season... I would have expected them to come out a little bit hotter knowing that kind of stuff, but it makes sense when you have that many guys that it just takes some time to sort through what your best looks are. Um, more than anything, it's this this team is ranked 20th in the country. It's 6-0. and It's winning games despite not quite looking like itself yet. Um, and that's because they play defense well. And there have been points like they've shot hot and all that kind of stuff and everything's been great. But just getting that consistency is not the next step, <laughs> honestly. It's it's something that you really have to get figured out in a couple weeks down the road. Um, I'm not concerned yet. Just get, get the turnovers fixed. Get through that Kansas game. And then after Kansas, we can kind of reevaluate um, based on what we've seen over the next week. Um, and then maybe it's time to start saying, okay, really need this offense night in, night out to be moving the way that we all know that it can um i'll move on i'll move on now uh like i said i think we had i want to say two comments maybe even more in the last 40 minutes since i started taping this um but before i get into those i want i want to let ryan tell you about my favorite place the blake street tavern What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins best sports bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, They've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap. You name it, they've got it, and the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Okay. Uh, Love the Blake Street Tavern. It's incredible. If you guys, ha- I don't know, like if if Boulder people spend too much time in Denver, or how many of you are actually in Boulder. I guess I can look. I get the stats, like how many people are listening. Um, not only can I see that we're in like forty countries, I can also see that my podcast has been listened to in like these places in Nebraska, like down to the city, um, and and they'll say like, "Oh, you're just listening there for Nebraska Week," or "Oh, you're actually a fan of the Buffs," who's listening to uh the buffs stuff okay um pulled up the questions that's how we're going to cap this show off as always and if you guys want your questions your comments right on the show leave them on the post for the show uh at the dmvr.com and i will get to them not tomorrow not wednesday but thursday um because tomorrow's draft pod day Okay, first one. This is a long one. See you at Folsom. I am in favor of an eight-team playoff with the five conference champions plus three at-large selected by BCS-type computer model. Okay, 
Um, that said, anything larger than that would be excessive. Historically, the reason playoffs weren't desired slash established, there's 130 teams, and the bowl selection had previously been regional slash contracted by slotted finish in a conference. Then it went to invites by bowl priority. This created speculation and conversation, allowing more fan bases to argue slash believe their team did better than what they would have accomplished in a playoff. Okay. Um, Now that travel and technology have advanced, settling everything on the field seems logical, but would remove some of this debate that has always been very good for FBS. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Secondly, okay, we'll, we'll get into this first point. 18 playoff, I think it makes sense. Um, again, 24 team playoff is what I grew up with in the FCS. It's a blast. Um, it doesn't, it it does end up being kind of these top teams. There is that separation between the elite teams and the the 24th best team that you see kind of play out. Uh, it's nice giving teams a chance. It's a lot of fun. Playoff football games are a lot of fun. And the more you can have of those, the better, but eight teams does seem like kind of the sweet spot. Maybe 12 with buys, you know, uh, what would that be? That'd be four teams with a buy. You have number four play number 12, five play 11. Winners go on to play the top four. Um, but yeah, eight would make sense because, like you said, you get all five Power Five conference champions in there, which I think is important. Uh Actually, this debate is kind of going on. Andrew Mason, who covers the Broncos for us at DNVR, he uh, he went on something about how you should wild card teams in the NFL shouldn't uh, have to play on the road if their record is better than the team that's hosting them, and I don't agree. Um, I think that you know winning the division should mean something. Uh, that's what keeps all these rivalries important. But also those are the teams you play twice a year. And so if you're playing in a strong division, like uh, like the NFC West, you know, you you really would get in trouble if you're the conference champion. I guess the conference champion will be good, or division champion will be having a good record there likely. But when you're playing games against good teams so often – it's you just hand each other losses kind of like people say the pac 12 does like they they just take each other out it's like the conference of cannibals or whatever but uh that needs to be factored in because they're good teams they're forced to play good teams twice a year instead of whatever random teams they would normally play um plus it just adds something to winning the division so i really like that and I think that that same thing holds true in college football. If you win your conference, um, a power power five conference, then you should get a chance to be competing for a national championship. Um, when the Pac-12 actually is good at football and this nine-game conference schedule compared to the eight that most conferences play actually does really hurt them, it would just be a shame to see a team held out because of that. Um yeah, I, I think that that's pretty much my take um, because, you know, just make that conference championship mean a little bit more. Uh, have the five of them plus three at large. Three should be enough. Honestly, 
honestly, one should be enough, but the numbers would be weird. A 16 playoff, huh? I don't know. I guess that would work with the buy, but uh, as long I, I don't know. I think the eight makes sense. I think the eight makes sense. Uh, he goes on to say, secondly, college football is a wonderful thing, even when messy. And I've slowly become receptive to Dan Rubenstein's uh, solid verbal uh, assessment that the playoff has actually been bad for college football. And he would be good with going back to the old messy way. I'm not totally there yet, but he makes some very compelling points. Not the least of which is so much of the college football conversation centers around the playoff and not the things that make FBS so fun. If the five plus three model happens, then the focus is then again on winning your champ or conference, which should always be the goal, and puts the focus back on the week to week regular season. The conference championship games would then serve as a pre playoff, but with a three team safety net. Yeah, I, I mean I, that all makes sense to me. Four teams is just a weird number. I think that's what it comes down to. Um, it's just a weird <laughs> choice. Uh, I still do think that it's better than two. Um, again, the, this is something that I argued with Dre about a lot. Maybe we can get into it again tomorrow. I love arguing with Dre about this, but, um, he says the regular season for college football is just the best because everything means so much and you can't afford to lose games. And that's true, but it's only true for a few teams and that's about it. And half the time those teams are playing games that you know, they're going to win anyway. You know, when it gets down to the last few weeks and everybody has a loss, except for three teams, you're like, oh, will one of them lose or will one of them get stuck? You know, that kind of does get exciting. It definitely, It's definitely exciting. But then you have to remember that there are so many other teams that just, in terms of a national championship, just have nothing to play for. And that is not nearly as fun. If, if this were a 20-team nation of college football then yeah, every game would mean so much. But right now, it feels like there are a bunch of games that mean a lot and there's something every week, but that's because there are 65 college football games every week. And so, of course, one or two of them are going to be really exciting. How many of them really aren't? Um, if you make it eight, then yeah. I mean, even... I mean, you look at the Pac-12. A, a week ago, Utah and Oregon and USC... Could you, yeah, USC still had a path a week ago. They needed two losses. It was a stretch uh, from Utah. But that was three teams in the Pac-12 still alive. And then, you know, there's the plus three, too, where teams can get excited about what could happen. Um, all of a sudden, if you have three teams in every conference still feeling like they're alive late in the season, that's... Yikes. <laughs> that's 15 teams, which is more than it typically is. Now it's down to what? six um when at the very least you'd have 10 everybody competing for a conference title plus you know maybe alabama who's sitting it out i i don't know conference champions I, I like making that mean more um i think that it makes that college football playoff feel more attainable which is really nice uh i i think for most fan bases the college football playoff doesn't really feel attainable. Um, you know, it's kind of like me being a Nuggets fan. It's like, I really want them to win a championship, but at the same time, I know that the odds that they actually win a championship in the next few years is like 2%, 3%. It's just probably not going to happen. Um, but 
that's kind of how it feels just getting into the college football playoff for so many of these teams. Um, make it make it feel more uh, attainable, I guess. Um, can we please address your question that clearly annoyed Mel Tucker? Ah, okay. Um, uh, can we please address your question that clearly annoyed Mel Tucker after the Utah game? Come on, man. Brutal. Yeah. Um, for those of you who didn't listen, and it's not like it was like super bad. What I'm saying is I've asked bad questions before. Everybody asks bad questions. And what I was trying to get at was, you know, seeing, seeing Utah play, getting up against Utah, that's kind of like what Mel Tucker is trying to build. Um, at the end of the season, like to seeing how that's working for this team, seeing a team just focus on the details, play good defensive football, you know, does that mean something? Like, does that inspire? Does that any of that kind of stuff? Specifically, like, I don't know. I, I phrased it poorly, but what I should have asked was something like, does does exposing your young players to teams like Utah that execute the details, doing that kind of stuff, does that does that help them develop, help them see the message? And, you know, it annoyed Mel. And you could see how something like that could annoy Mel. Um, for sure. And I probably should have asked it. And I talked about this with some of the other reporters after I was like, eh, this, this didn't come out right. Uh, like, yeah, we, we noticed, but, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that comes with the job where sometimes you ask a dumb question and uh, I asked a really dumb one. It was earlier this season, a uh, Tyson Summers was talking to us and, uh, he said something about doing silent practices and um we're like nobody talks like you just it's it's almost like simulating uh being in a stadium where you just can't hear each other so instead it's just like silent all nonverbal communication and i'm i said something like oh does that is that something you do often and he was like oh i was joking i was like oh nice that's a fun moment for me and again, like I talked to him after that and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's part of the job. Sometimes when you ask, like, I don't even know, I probably ask a hundred questions minimum every week. And some of those are bound to be dumb. Some of them are bound to come off the wrong way. And that one against Mel definitely did. Um, he was annoyed, but, but he, he still gave like a good answer saying, you know, we aren't, we aren't trying to be Utah. We're just doing what we do. And that, that makes sense. Um, especially cause like Utah hasn't won anything. And that's what one of the other reporters said after he's like, yeah, I think that's why it went off because they haven't actually been all that successful. It's just, that it's kind of finally coming together. <sighs> yeah. I, it's definitely something that I thought about for a while because that's what you do. Um, kind of like going back and listening to my own podcast, not as like an ego thing, but to see if any of them work out right and think about what I could handle differently. And that's one of those things where it's like, as soon as that press conference is over, as soon as you're like out of there, all the stress is off, get a chance to breathe. And like your brain isn't just thinking like, what's a follow-up? What's a question? You know, just like super focused in, you can be like, okay, what went wrong there? What went wrong there? I mean, half of it's just, if you ask a question and it takes you more than like three, four seconds to ask the question, it's a bad question. Like, you just throw something out there. And if I had just said, you know, what's the value in having your team go up against a team that's where Utah is playing for a college football playoff this late in the season, 
um, you know, that, that would have gone over better than me trying to qualify it and throw it in there and say, you know, can, can you take something away from seeing this Utah team that plays this style of football that I think, uh, you probably are trying to try and, you know, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along those lines where it's like, can, can you take something away from seeing this team work? And what I wanted him to say, or what I expected him to say, you know, you don't really go into question saying like, oh, here's the quote I want. It's, here's what I think he's going to say. But I I, I was thinking he was going to say something like, you know, and he did mention it, uh, but, you know, I've played for, I've, I've worked for teams that play this way. I've seen teams that play this way. Um, it's it's good to to go up against these teams to play competitive football teams and you know give yourself a chance to eat. I don't know. I don't think you guys are all this inter all that interested into that part of how this works. But yeah, definitely not my favorite moment of the weekend. Nobody talks about my good questions like like Alex Kinney's mullet, who's the best dancer on the team and who's the worst dancer and all that kind of stuff. Um. Okay, we can move on, though. Silver buff. For FBS, I don't see a reason for a 2014 playoff. Look at the rankings and tell me teams outside the top 10 look like the best team in college football. Expand to 6 or 8, but stop there. Yep, that makes sense. Um, honestly, it's probably too big for FCS, too, except that it's just fun. It's just really fun. What's NFL's 12? I think, I think that fits well. Even that seems kind of big, you know, if you look at it, is there any doubt that, I don't know, I don't know. We can get into this at some other point. I don't know enough about where teams are. But like the Steelers, they aren't going to go win it. Um, you, you only have a few real contenders on either side. Um, six or eight makes sense. Uh, Colorado was played in the Alamo just three years ago. Obviously, fans were excited since it was a 10-win season, but now fans have a mixed view on it after getting crushed. Makes sense. A bowl is a bigger deal for CU fans than other schools because we've only had it once in a decade. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that that plays into it. I think it's like it's fun. It feels like you've done something. Um, for... <laughs> For CU fans, it feels like a reward getting to a bowl game. But for teams like, I don't know, like Alabama, they aren't going to be fun playing in whatever bowl they get sent to. Uh, it is nice to give some sort of prize to schools who are in Colorado's position, um, especially when I'm talking about how all of college football is kind of stacked in favor of these top teams. Um, that that's where all the parity is. You don't know who's making the four-team college football playoff, except you know there isn't these 110 teams halfway through the season. You know, it's... it the, the So many teams just become irrelevant nationally so early. But this is one way of leveling that out by having bowl games. And I get why it's exciting... I, I would definitely be stoked. I would be out of my mind getting ready to go cover it. And even if I didn't get to go cover it, I'd be excited just because, like, you know what? Steven Montez, it'd be fun to see him play one last game. Know that it's one last game. You know, not have him go out on, like, the sour note of 
losing the way that he lost. And if he'd won, then he could have played one more game. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, it feels like a reward. It feels like you're pulling everything you can out of the season, even if you don't actually get the win. Um, I've, here's a question. Okay, so for you guys who were Puffs fans three years ago, which I would guess is most of you, how do you feel now? Like, that Alamo Bowl loss, how does that loss feel compared to some of the other losses? Um, does it, Is that more painful because it was a bowl game, or is that one where, to try to ignore the recency bias, but losing to USC this season, does that hurt worse than losing the Alamo Bowl? Um, I think that that's a good question. I think that kind of sums up what I see as somebody who's kind of new to this, which is that it's fun, but I'd rather get a conference win. I'd rather watch a game where you're playing a conference opponent than this bowl game. And maybe that's where you guys differ. I'm not sure. Uh, love to hear your thoughts there or hear your thoughts on anything else. Buffs basketball, LaVisca Chenault. If you guys have any takes on where you should go, where you think you'll get drafted, um, are you concerned about the receivers next year? Um, yeah, really anything. I'm down to talk about whatever at this point. Um, I have a bunch of ideas. I have a bunch of things. Like at some point here pretty soon, we need to go through and evaluate all these different position groups. Um, kind of get like a look ahead for next year. And uh, also so much basketball. I'm so excited for this game tomorrow. I hope you guys are too. Um, hopefully I'll see you guys out there. Uh, definitely hit me up if you're going. I uh, like I'll I'll be doing some media stuff, but isn't like football games where I'm very boxed into what I have to do, like constantly tweeting, constantly taking notes, constantly doing like all these things. I'm down to hang out a little bit more and kind of wander around because I can tweet from my phone and. Uh, like I would have to be preparing a gamer or like uh what is what's like the longer word for gamer like a game recap uh from this game because that's not really something we do um mostly just want to go see it write some takeaways build some takes find some content for the podcast you know that kind of stuff uh so definitely if you guys are out there tell me and i'll hang out with you instead of hanging out with all the reporters who I spend a lot of time with and love them, but spend a lot of time with them. Um, I think that's everything for today. Uh, yeah, I will see you tomorrow. There should be like 1200, 1500 words on where LaVisca Chenault should go with some gifts and my thoughts and some bad jokes, pretty much everything I'm known for gifts, bad jokes, Lots of thoughts. Um, just wrapped up into a decently long story. Uh, that should be ready when you wake up. Hopefully you guys are subscribing so you can get it. If you haven't subscribed yet, um, then you can become a member for the holidays. Get a gift box. has two, two items of your choice. Uh, shirts, hats, whatever. Um, the subscription, obviously. Uh, stickers. You get to like pick which team sticker pack you want. Um probably some other cool things I'm forgetting, but, uh, thanks for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with more. Um, talk to you then.